If you have a Bible nearby, uh, let's turn together to Philippians chapter 2. We'll, we'll turn those lights up for you. And as you're turning there, uh, it's Cody's birthday today. Um, so, uh, yeah, maybe let him know how much you appreciate him and what he does for us and serving us. And uh, I told him today I was glad he was born. So don't, that's my line, so you can't tell him that. You'll be copying off of me. But I am glad he was born. And um, we're continuing on tonight uh, in part four of a five-part series on adoption. And um, you can catch up on the podcast and some of those things. Um, but the general idea is that as, as a bonus to our salvation, God has brought us into his family. That he has taken us from a place of being uh, strangers, of being those who are alienated from him, separate from him because of our sin. And he has saved us from that sin. He has changed our identity. He has brought us from death into life. And he has put us in right standing with him again. And then he went beyond that and has brought us into his family. He has adopted us. And so he has uh, done much in the same way that um, family adoption uh, happens uh, as we understand it. He has planned for us. He has paid for us. He has, um, like, and when I say paid for us, I mean, he, you know, adoption costs money. And so our adoption costs the life of his son. Right, And so he has brought us into his family. He has given us a new name because he, we have a new identity. Our whole trajectory is different now. Everything about us is different now. We are brought into the family business, which is uh, the glory of our Father through the uh, exaltation of Jesus and the transformation of our lives. And so everything about us is different. And so he saved us, but then he brought us in. And now we are... Uh, not the ones that we used to be, that everything about us is different. And now he calls us son, he calls us daughter. Uh, and we are in this, this really remarkable situation where we have um, become co-heirs with Jesus of everything that will be inherited from our Father. Our Father owns everything. Everything is his. And Jesus has the right to that by birthright. But he shares the spoils of his victory with us. And so we're co-heirs that we will co-inherit everything um, that he has for us forever together. And so it's just, just phenomenal uh, when you begin to think about it in these terms. And so it's been a few weeks just talking about the theological outworkings of that and, and, and what that really means for us. And tonight we're going to turn into the, like the interpersonal stuff. The fact that because we are all seated at the same table, and we all got to that table in the same way, not by our works, not by trying really hard, not by just being lucky, by the grace of Jesus, we've been brought into the family, and everything is equal, and we're at this giant table, this family table. Um, That means that we should treat each other differently now. That life in the kingdom, life in this family is not like it used to be. So if we're different, then that means our interaction with each other should be different. That the church, like the inworkings of like how we relate to each other should reflect our adoption into the family of God in some really specific ways. 
Now, Jesus, being the, um, the like, firstborn son of God, uh, he is the one who, uh, in a sense, kind of teaches us what life in this new family is supposed to look like. So if, if you have a family and they have a firstborn son, and then let's say they adopt a son, uh, the firstborn son will teach the adopted son a, a lot of just basically how to live in that family. Um, kind of how the rules work and, um, you know, kind of how dad works and how mom works and how just how everything goes. The older brother will teach the adopted brother, the younger brother, uh, how to act and how to live and how to treat people and, and just kind of this new rhythm of family life. So Jesus does the same thing for us, that we are able to look up to him, look at him, pattern ourselves after him, because he knows what life in this family is supposed to look like. We're new to the family. And even if you've been a, a believer for a long time, you're still new to the family, you know? Um, so we're constantly looking to Jesus to show us what to do, how to act, how to think, uh, all those kinds of things. And that's directly tied to our adoption. And so he wants us to learn the rhythms of the family. Um, like he wants it more than we want it. He desperately wants us to be everything that our Father has intended for us to be in adopting us. And so tonight, just um, I always want to go through a passage that may be familiar to you if you've been around church for a while. Uh, and, and, but I want to look at it through that lens. Is how does our, our big brother, Jesus, our co-heir, the, whose family we have been adopted to, now that we're seated at the table with him, what is he modeling for us about family life that we can learn from to duplicate, to catch on to, to adjust to? And so in this passage, I just kind of pulled five things out. So if you're taking notes, hooking you up. And I'm just going to give you one word for each, each point, like not a sentence, not a whatever. So note takers, this is your night. Uh, you're welcome. Uh, all right, so let's just start in the beginning of the second chapter of Philippians. Verse 1, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now there's like years worth of sermons in, in that text. And so I just want to pull out those, these maybe five things, and there are certainly others, that we can learn from our brother as he coaches us in what family life should look like. The first, uh, the first of the five, uh, you can just write down the word unity. Look at the first two verses once again. 
So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. This is a direct reflection of the Father-Son-Spirit relationship. That there's a oneness that is there, there's an equality that is there among them, but yet there's diversity and uniqueness That the Father and the Son are different, but they're one and they're equal. It's kind of this mysterious thing that that is proof that we're made in the image of God and that the church is a reflection of the Trinity. That our interaction with each other is supposed to look just like the Father, Son, Spirit. And so Jesus is, is, is teaching us as our big brother what exactly what that's like. He knows the unity that it can exist in a diverse relationship. But for us, we, we kind of struggle with that. You know, culture, like cultures and just people in general, you tend to kind of gravitate toward people who are like you. But here we are in this, this church, and even in our church, there's, there's commonalities that we have, but, but there's a diversity that exists. And so only God can take a bunch of people who have nothing in common and make them into a family. Only God can take a bunch of adopted kids, I mean hundreds of thousands, millions of adopted kids, and make them of one heart and one mind, through one spirit. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And so a part of our family life together is that we, um, we have this diversity and this unity at the same time that exists. And what that means is that we're able to we're able to celebrate together, and we're able to hurt together. That when something great happens in your life, I, I, feel, I feel that. I should feel that. I want to feel that. And that's what we're learning. We're learning to, when something awesome happens for someone else, you celebrate that with them. Why? Because even though we're diverse, we're unified. On the other end of the spectrum, when someone is hurting... We also hurt with them and for them. And so we celebrate together and and we experience each other's victories and we mourn together and we grieve together and we cry together and we experience each other's sadness. When, When someone is walking in holiness, that benefits us. When someone is stumbling into sin, that hurts us. And so Jesus wants us to to understand and experience the just the magnitude of, even though we're all different, and even though on the surface it may look like we don't have tons of things in common, that he has unified us, that we're seated at this one giant table, and we all got there the same way. This is easier when we realize what got us to the table. That none of us is uh, outside of what it took. That all of us are included in what Jesus did on the cross to get us here. And so the unity that comes, he has provided for us, and he, is, um, he empowers us in that. And so the longer we live as a family together, as a church family, the more we begin to experience those things. And, and I've seen this, so we'll, we'll make 10 years old as a church plant in February. And I've seen this happen a lot. That in the, when you are, are new to this group, maybe you're new to a community group, you're you're, I don't know, 
You're kind of like working your way into the family. Let's say you're newly, not adopted into the big Jesus family, but into like this particular family. Um, you, it's, you, you feel kind of distant at first. But the longer you walk together and you experience life together and things like that, you, you get to where when you hear about something awesome that happened for someone, you're, you really are like excited for them. At first, maybe you're jealous that other people are being blessed and you're not. But then it gets to the point where you're like, man, that's so, that's so awesome. You know, and you celebrate that. Or you hear about someone that's happened and you have this like emotional response, something that's, that's really devastating. And you're like, wow, why, why is my heart so heavy for that person? Well, it's because we're learning to live as a family. We're learning to live that unified life. Because we all went through the same door, Jesus, to get here. And all of our names have been changed, and all of our identities have been changed, and he's making us into this one unified family. That does not come without some work on our part. You, you and I cannot be unified in, like, without the Spirit at work among us in the midst of our honesty with each other. That when that verse says, being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind... You can't, you can't live in secrecy and experience that kind of like, community together. That unifying uh, love that Jesus has. It doesn't happen when you're not sharing your life with people. And so when you, when you come into this church family, and like you're, you, the longer you walk in, the, you should find yourself being more and more comfortable sharing things. And realizing the safety that Jesus provides in, the, in his kingdom that... That we can always live with the consequences of telling the truth, you know, and you begin to share great things and difficult things and sin struggles that you have. Or uh, when you've learned to walk in holiness in different areas of life and you share that with each other, it requires us confessing. It requires us resolving our conflict. It requires us telling the truth. It requires us sharing when we're struggling with something or when we're grieving or when something great has happened. And it requires work for us. But part of life in the family of God, and in, in this family in particular, is letting God unify us through the, through the beautiful reality that in His kingdom we, we can be one. We can share the same mind with Jesus. We have His Spirit among us. And so, whatever's going on with you, it's perfectly fine for you to share that with people. And so, unity is the first point, and... In some senses, it seems like it would be a really difficult thing. But some of you know exactly what I'm, what I'm talking about. You feel that solidarity and you stand with one, with one another. You understand what that's like, that God is making us into a family. We already are a family. He's just making us more, more into that. So I've talked about my brother, Drew, and his wife, uh, Catherine. And they had a baby this week. And uh, he is awesome. I, well... According to FaceTime, he's awesome. I haven't seen him in person yet. So, um, but man, what a great time to live when you can have a brother in Kentucky and not, I don't know. I just think it's amazing. I'm sitting here looking at this newborn baby. I'm like, that's my nephew, and I'll see him in a few weeks. But I don't have to just hear him screaming over the phone anymore. We can look at each other and talk to each other, and it's awesome. And, and so they have this boy that they just had, and they're adopting these two other boys that they've been fostering for a while. And so really, probably within a month... Their adoption will be finalized, and they'll have like this this baby. So they'll have three sons uh, officially, like legally, within a month. It's crazy. So the two boys that have been fostered, uh, Landon and Hunter, they are like 
they have come into that family, and Drew and Kak were their, their third foster home to be in. And it has taken them a while, but they are slowly starting to understand what's going on. They're starting to understand that, um, that they are being adopted into this family, that their names are, are being changed, that, that Drew and Kak are not going anywhere, you know, that they are trustworthy, that they can relax, that, they can, um, that when they discipline them, it's for their good. They're starting to look at my parents as grandparents and Catherine's parents as grandparents. They're starting to look at me as an uncle. Um, for Amos, the, who, the, who they just had this week, that, those processes will be, will be different for him. Drew and Cack as parents are all, the, all that he's going to know. Landon and Hunter, there's, a, there's a more of a learning curve there, relationally. You and I, we're like Landon and Hunter. There's a learning curve relationally where we're, we're learning to trust one another. We're learning to trust God. We're learning to trust Jesus. We're learning to not trust what the world offers us. We're learning to trust the truth of God's word. That learning curve for us is very important. And so unity, this oneness that he provides within the family, that drives a lot of how we treat one another. When we realize it took the same thing to get us there. That the, that the ground at the foot of the cross is level, that no one's greater or lesser. And so that unity is the first point. Now from that unity, we, we see the next thing. The second point, just write the word honor. Verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. In a situation of honor... You put the other person ahead of yourself. Now because, because there's, there's equality among us, that no one's greater or lesser, and because we all went through the same door to get into the family, we're all adopted at the same price paid by our Father, we can honor one another by putting each other ahead of ourselves. Not because anyone is better than us or lesser than us, but because Jesus has provided equality and that makes things safe for us. There's, we're not threatened by other people. So we look around the room and we look around how we like live our lives together as a family. And there's honor for each other. We say, I'm going to put you ahead of me. And not because you're better than me, but because, because, because we're equal. So I'm not threatened by you, by you having something that I don't have. And so there's, you know, there's like little examples I wrote down, like, like uh, all right, let's say it's time, you're coming into community group. Are you going to run and find the most comfortable seat in the room? Try not to elbow the person you're sitting by or anything like that. There are comfortable seats in every place where we meet, just about. And then they're like, there's like the floor, you know. And so honoring someone is being like, well, I'm just going to, I'm going to, Make sure that everybody else has a seat first. I'll sit on the floor every week. That's fine. That's honor. There shouldn't be a community group where any of our ladies are sitting on the floor unless they just want to. So dudes, next time you go to community group, don't run and like, sit in the best seat. Honor the, honor the people around you. Honor the women around you. That's, you know why? Because we're all, we're, yeah, there's an equality there. So put them ahead of yourself. It's simple. There's simple stuff like that. There's... Um, like, I don't know, someone's, let's say someone's sharing in community group, and they're just talking, and they're sharing their hearts, and we're like, look at them. Just make, just look at them. 
They're, if they're, they're like saying something awesome, saying something like that's really sad, saying something that you don't even understand at all, which happens, you know, it's like, okay, yeah, yeah. There's nothing, nothing more deflating than you're pouring out your heart and people are just like looking at, their, at the ground, playing on their phones, looking out the window. You just honor each other. There's some simple things like that. The church that planted us is Parkview Baptist, and the pastor at the time, um, his name was Bill Pruitt, in a staff meeting one day, he said, hey, um, I just wanna, uh, want us to do something as a staff. He said, I want, I want us all to park as far away from the building as we can every Sunday. We were like, okay. Someone was like, why? Why would we do that? He said, we're going to honor the other people in our church. So there are people that need to be close to the building. We don't need to be close to the building. He said, we're the first ones here and the last ones to leave. So there's no reason we should have the good parking spots. You know? So, so park far away, let other people, let guests, let older people, let you know, pregnant moms, let people with newborns, whatever. Let other people have the, the seats that are, the parking spots that are closest to the building. And I, that just that changed the game for me. Like I was like, something as simple as a parking spot, you can honor the people around you by putting them ahead of yourself. And there's practical stuff like that, you know. Making sure that if you're here tonight and you had to park down Government Street, uh, that when it's dark, you don't have to walk to your car by yourself. You know, make, like, just looking around, making sure that people are okay and checking on them. There's practical things, but you know, there's, there's deeper things as well. There's deeper stuff, like when, when a crisis happens. When someone has like a family crisis or a financial crisis or some sort of personal thing or a spiritual crisis or whatever, that you are honoring to them, that you're willing to listen to them, you're willing to go meet them, you're willing to say no to something so you can say yes to them, you'll, you'll prioritize it, you'll, just, you'll adjust your schedule, you know, that kind of stuff. Those are big, deep things that, that, that we live the kind of life that's willing to make a, this sacrifice for each other. That Jesus has unified us and now he has, he has freed us from like, being in competition with each other. And now we're able to honor each other. And so collectively, we're able to say, hey, whatever you need, I'm going like, to be there for you. I'm going to make sure that, that you have what you need to get through this. Just kind of a whatever-it-takes mindset when it comes to caregiving and taking care of each other and stewarding our resources. It's amazing to me whenever when people... Uh, just kind of like mention, mention you know, a need that they have. And then that just becomes this like rallying of the troops to like try and like meet that need and bless them. That's honoring each other. And when we honor each other, you know what that does? That reinforces the fact that he's made our relationships with each other safe. That we can live out in the open. And so from practical things like seats at community group and parking spots... All the way into the deep things that whenever life just hits, you know, and you don't know what to do, we're going we're gonna to be there to help you. We're going to sacrifice whatever we need to in order to care for you well. Honoring one another. That's what life in the family is supposed to look like. And I think we're learning that. I think we've been learning that for a while. I think in the last two or three years, we've learned it like in kind of an accelerated way. And some of that is because like we've just we're gone through some stuff. Some of our groups have dealt with some really deep, like really difficult things. And so we've learned in the trenches, but we live in the trenches. And so Jesus, our big brother, has shown us, like, hey, you're unified. 
Therefore, you can honor each other just like he has done for us. Look at verse 4. The third point. I couldn't really think of a good way to word this. Just write consideration. It's probably a better way. I even use like a thesaurus. I couldn't even come up with something. Consideration. Verse 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. This can cover a lot of ground, all right? But in, in terms of, like, in a, in a sermon about, like, family life, let's just focus in on um, looking to the interests of others in terms of, like, those who are vulnerable among us. Those who are vulnerable. Now, don't, don't hear, like, vulnerable as, like, uh, a negative thing. It's not a negative thing. It just means that there are some things going on in your life that are like just some, there's just some tender spots for you. Some places where, where your flesh can be attacked. Uh, your flesh can, can attack you, basically. The enemy can attack you. Just, I don't know. Call them, uh, call them insecurities. Call them just things about what, what, where you are right now that um, it's just, I don't know. It's just a tender spot that if someone says something or jokes about it or something comes up, it doesn't take much to just like, tr- like trigger you. That you're vulnerable. Does that make sense? The thing is, there's none of us in this room who are without some sort of like vulnerable areas in our lives. So in thinking about the fact that here we are, we're unified and we're honoring each other, and every single one of us brings to the table certain vulnerabilities we have got to be considerate of one another in terms of how we live our lives. You have to be, think about what other people are going through. You have to think about their needs. You have to think about their, their battles. You have to think about their hopes and their dreams. And you have to really pay attention to each other's lives and then be willing to adjust accordingly. Um, you don't need to turn to it, but Romans 15 kind of helps us maybe illustrate this a little further. Um, This is 1, 2, and 3. It says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Okay? You may be strong, like, in an area where someone else is weak. You may be, you may have, like, um, there's something about your life that doesn't have the same vulnerabilities as someone else. All right? So in terms of weak and failing and that kind of stuff, like, don't, don't get overly personal about it. Just, that's kind of what is being said here. Um, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Um, The example of Christ is to put the needs ahead of his own. Let me read you what what it says in the message. of those same verses. The message is a paraphrase of the Bible. It says, Those of us who are strong and able in the faith need to step in and lend a hand to those who falter and not just do what is most convenient for us. Strength is for service, not status. Think about that. An area of life where you are strong is not just for you to be awesome. It's for you to be able to help people who are maybe not strong in that area. Each one of us needs to look after the good of the people around us, asking ourselves, how can I help? That's exactly what Jesus did. He didn't make it easy for himself by avoiding people's troubles, 
but he waded right in and helped them. Scripture puts it this way, I took on the troubles of the troubled. So being considerate is a part of like life in the family. That we live together and we, as we're sharing things and like from that unity and we're being honest and we're, we're doing the work, the relational work, uh, and we're honoring to each other, you begin to know the different areas of struggle. And from there, we adjust some stuff. Let me give you a couple of, of examples of what, um, what comes to mind quickly. One thing would be like, uh, your, like considerate interaction would be like in topics of behavior. So, um, so I'll use myself as an example. I am not married. And so, and, uh, as, an, like, as an adult who's not married in a culture and in a community where most of the people my age are married, that is a, like, that is a vulnerability that I bring to the table. And so there are, are times when that is just not a problem. Like I don't, I'm fine with singleness. I, I'm, like it's just not a, a, a thing where that is a problem for me. And then there are other times when it just kind of gets to be, it's tough, you know. And I've shared that before with you guys. Um, so uh, sometimes when it comes to singleness, when you're hanging out with people who are married, if, if I'm in a bad place with that, and all of the talk is about marriage, 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 that becomes kind of a difficult thing, you know? Um, and so, like, I have noticed the longer we have walked in community together as a church, and the more open that I have been about that, um, I've seen people shut down a conversation, like, and it's, I don't know if they like feel bad for me or whatever. They're protecting me or what. But I've seen someone redirect a conversation, being considerate of just not kind of knowing where I am at the time. You know, I've I've I know from um, like in the, like this is kind of related to it a little bit, but battles with infertility, like that's a big deal. And so perhaps like a, like in, like conversation that's all about kids, all about kids, all about kids is difficult for a couple who's battling with infertility to sit there and listen to, you know? So it's being considerate about that. And maybe, maybe like, changing the conversation, or, or better yet, uh, you know, being like, so, how's that going for y'all right now? Maybe they break down in tears, and maybe they don't want to, like, deal with it, but the worst thing is just to have people just not even act like, you know, like you haven't shared that before, you know? Um, those kind of things are difficult. Uh, just of, like all, all the things related to conversation, like just avoiding the elephant in the room. You know, like if someone is going through something major, you spend three hours together, dinner, coffee, hanging out, and no one ever brings up what's going on in this person's life, and everybody knows about it. If that's to protect them from having to talk about it, that's one thing. But if that's because everyone's just afraid of it or self-absorbed, and that's a problem. You know, so being considerate sometimes means like, hey, we're not going to bring this up. And sometimes being considerate means, hey, we're going to intentionally bring this up because we want, to, we want to know where you are in this. So topics of conversation, that can be one thing, one area where we just need to be considerate with one another. Um, and another thing would be, uh, would be alcohol. And some of you are like, oh no, here it comes. You know? um, let me just be very, very clear that uh, I do not believe that drinking alcoholic beverage is a sin or anything like that. That's not what I'm about to say I'm not about to tee off on this topic, okay? But 
when it comes to the consumption of alcohol, I think there are two big, two big things Scripture is clear about. One is like drunkenness is sinful, okay? And so I think, I think we can all agree on that. Um, so one, one is not sinful. Uh, it, when you get drunk, that's sinful, okay? The other thing, though, is, is to be considerate in like, the weaknesses and the struggles of people around us. And so alcohol consumption is kind of one of those things that it's easy to, um, to kind of like be like blurred about. That's not a drunk joke. I didn't mean it that way. Um, it's, it can be tough because it's, one of the, it's, like, it's a discernment thing. But let me introduce something that, that maybe should be a part of the check down list that I hope that you have in regard to this area of life. Okay. Something that should be a part of the check down is being considerate of the people that you're with. I've known people living in Christian community that have confessed um, struggles with alcohol, alcohol addiction, alcoholic background, um, alcoholism ruined, ruined their family. Um, you know, there's just something really, really serious. And it has not changed the behavior patterns of their close friends one bit. And that is ridiculous. We have to have in our check-down list, considering who you are with and what is going on with them. People ask me all the time, they're like, so, you, you know, I know it's like you don't drink at weddings because uh, you're a preacher. I'm like, well, no. I go, it's because you think it's sinful. I'm like, no. I'm like, well, why, why is it? And if you want to know what I tell them at that point, you can ask me afterwards. But a part of the check-down in my mind is because I know, I know so many of you guys. I know your backgrounds. I know your struggles. I know things. And so that is an attempt on my part to be considerate of where we are culturally and where we are as a church. It's not a condemnation, condemnation of drinking or any of that kind of stuff or weddings or any of that kind of other stuff. Just, just hear me out that being considerate of one another has got to be a part of how we live life together. That we as a family should stand in solidarity with each other and be willing to sacrifice whatever that looks like. So topics of conversation, alcohol. I, mean, I read not too long ago that, um, you know, the, there's like a group of guys that do these stunts and they make these movies. And it's like Johnny Knoxville and Steve-O and all them, you know. Um, you're welcome, parents. And so uh, they make these movies. And, I, and so Steve-O, who's one of the main like, uh, actors in the movie, um, he, he battled alcoholism and drug addiction. And it almost killed him. And he went through rehab. And so they were filming a movie. And typically, there's a lot of alcohol on the set. And the, rest, the, whole, the crew and all the other guys in the show got together. And they made a decision that in order to stand with Steve-O in his sobriety, they would not have any alcohol or drink at all through the whole production of the movie. And when I read that, I was like, they get it. They understand. And I was challenged by that. And not just about alcohol. Not just about alcohol. About so many things of, are we willing to put the, the health and the benefit of the people around us ahead of our own to the point where we're willing to sacrifice stuff? Maybe it's not drinking, maybe it's conversation, maybe it's money, maybe it's time, maybe it's like anything that they need. Are we, are we honoring each other? Are we being considerate of each other? Does our unity have that kind of drive for us that we're like, I don't, I don't care about the things that don't matter, you matter. That's who Jesus is making us into. 
And so I hope you don't walk away from this point being like, yeah, Josh told us drinking was bad. No, that's not what I said. I said that we need to be considerate of one another in all of these areas of life because we're honoring each other, because we are unified with one another, because that's what Jesus has done for us. It's beautiful. It's costly. It's not always convenient. But he's teaching us how to live this way. Very quickly, point four. Selflessness. Have this mind among yourselves, is verse five. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The beginning of verse 5 says, Have this mind among yourselves. This is talking, we're talking about like the way that Jesus thinks. He's bringing us on board with his mind, and that will drive how we act. That will drive how we treat one another. So having this mind among ourselves. It's interesting to me in verse 7, it says, He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. That all the things we've been talking about with honoring each other and being considerate and this, it's emptying ourselves. And how do we do that? By by being servants to one another. That within the family, there's a selflessness that just leads us to be willing to do whatever we can to take care of each other. He emptied himself by serving. And then verse 8 so as being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. That if you want to empty yourself, you serve. If you want to be humble, you obey. We care for each other. We look out for each other. That we take time to make sure that those among us are being cared for. That the vulnerable have a covering. The Bible talks about widows and orphans. Widows and orphans. I think we have to get specific with that, but I think we also have to be very broad with that. That there's a selflessness that exists, that whatever, whatever you need, I'm going to do that. And we see Jesus emptying himself and being humble through serving and through being obedient. And so that's who he's making us into. That's part of life in the family, is selflessness. That whatever it takes for him to increase, however much I need to decrease so that he increases, that's, that's what we want. And that drives us into the fifth point, which is worship. Verse 9. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All this is because he is of the highest worth. Like all this family life stuff is not just so that our lives can be, can be great together. So we can have this big like kumbaya community that we just love so much. I'm all about a kumbaya community. It means come by here. It's like this prayer that God would be with them. So I don't mean to make fun of kumbaya, but you know what I'm saying. It's so easy to be like, oh yeah, we do all these things and our lives are going to be great. It's like, no, no, we do all these things because Jesus is worthy. We do all these things because this is who he's made us. This is what we were created to do together. 
He is of the highest worth. Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That as a community, it's all about the lifting up of our brother and co-heir, yes. Also, our Savior and our Lord. And so a community that worships, community that is one, that honors each other, that's considerate, that's selfless, that serves, because we're trying to pattern our lives after our big brother, who's the king of the universe. I believe that this encapsulates what we're learning, what we've been learning, and also what we're going to continue to learn. This is not like a new vision. This is like, hey, if you haven't noticed, this is what we're doing together. This is what he's been doing among us. This is why community groups are so important. This is why like, we prioritize gathering together. This is why we push each other into transparency and honesty and sharing. This is why we gather and sing so many songs. That's why we don't have a lot of like complicated worship service time. We just want to get to it. And that's why we leave and we go. Because we're going into a world that needs to know this. And so I hope that these five things, maybe, I hope you've experienced them. I hope you can look and be like, yeah, yeah, I've, I've dialed into that a little bit. And I hope that you want more of it. I hope that you're willing to do your part. I hope that you realize that this isn't something that happens without the Spirit's work among us. And that all of this really is just about Jesus. And so we're going to close, we're going to sing a song or two, and uh, Jake's going to come and um, kind of close this out. And there's a few things he's going to bring us up to speed on. but um, I don't know. I, there are plenty of times when I can, like, I can read the room. I can be like, yeah, yeah, we like this. And other times I'm like, uh, no, we don't like this. And right now I have no idea what you're thinking. But you know what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. He's brought us together. He's made us one. He's making us one. We'll always be one. And I think maybe the last point is the most important, that we just lift him high. So let's stand. Let me pray, and we're just going to sing. Lord God, I'm grateful to you that I'm that you are at work among us. Thank you for starting something. Thank you for being faithful to always complete what you've started. I'm thankful that you can take a bunch of people who are all in process and we're all at different points on the on this spectrum and on every spectrum of life. And we can be so different and yet you can unify us in a way that uh, that just points to you and your goodness. And God, I know that we are, like we as a church family are still learning how to do these things. I'm thankful to you and grateful for your grace to us as we, um, as we succeed sometimes and as we 
drop the ball other times and as we kind of figure it out. And Thank you for your grace that just covers, covers our mistakes and empowers our victories. And God, you know our desire. It, it, it is to honor you and to honor one another. To learn to be considerate and selfless and all the things, Jesus, that we see you modeling for us and showing us how to do, we want that. And that comes as we know you more. So I hope, just ask for your help in, in pursuing that myself, in pursuing that with this group of people. And for those who are here or are not a part of this church, I pray that uh, you'd help them take it to their church. And those who are not part of any church, God, I hope that you would just draw them in. Let them know they're welcome here. There's always seats at your table. There's seats at this table. And as we sing, help us to remember what the family life is all about. You've changed our identity all the way down to our name. You've made us a part of something that's bigger than ourselves. And we can stumble through and keep trying to figure out how to treat each other and interact with each other. But you are steady. That you're the steady part of this community life. You're the rock of this. And as we sing, I pray, God, that you just help some things to sync up and line up so we can leave here on the same page with you and on the same page with each other.